And so he was the on-air guy, 6 to 10 a.m. on Philly's classical music station at the time. And so he was just like, I have to go into work. Like he was actually snowed in at work because he was afraid if he went home, he wouldn't be able to come back and get back <laughs> in the ice. Mm-hmm. So he was, did not have fun. I had lots of fun. Right. Yeah, As exactly. Adult, not so much. Yeah, uh, uh, he, my dad did not have like those little tractor snow things that you can. Right. He, yeah. he used the shovel. Yep. And and you know and he used the salt solution that you get to ice your windows and. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to do it when I eventually owned a house and had, or even when you're renting, you need to yeah. shovel your car out. And then in Philly, people put uh, lawn chairs in the parking spaces. You're not supposed to do it, but they do. Yeah. And then they, to like protect the space, they spent two hours shoveling out. Right. <laughs> so come back to your own apartment and sometimes someone else's lawn chair is in your space or something. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So do you like take the lawn chair out and put it back in front of the people who shouldn't be there? If you want to fight someone, you can do that because people are pretty serious about it. So we just generally didn't mess with the lawn chairs. Yeah, you either dig yourself a new spot or <laughs> you put your own lawn chair. I know, you just time. hope you just hope nobody takes your spot while you're gone. The worst was when I would go to work. I worked at the Philadelphia Zoo for many years and I'd go to work and then it would snow while I was there mm-hmm. and then I had to dig my car out to go home <laughs> and then when I got home, dig out my driveway so I could park. It was it was super fun and then it was hilarious because I I moved to San Diego like two years ago to work at the San Diego Zoo, and I worked with the polar bears, which have snow machines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So in the winter, you know, it doesn't get back, of course it doesn't get as cold as it does in Philadelphia, but it gets cold enough that the snow doesn't melt. So I have to go into the habitat every morning and shovel snow in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this isn't fair. One of the <laughs> only San Diegans that has to shovel. <laughs> yeah, nobody has to shovel snow here. I just, oh my god. I know. I was like, this is not fair. This is not why I moved here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, wow. it, um, I remember one time I was in um, at the uh, Baboa Park, and we were in the art area which is right near the San Diego Zoo. It was kind of cool because you could hear all the lions and stuff. Uh-huh. Roar! And you're walking yep. by. <laughs> and, and I was one time with one of my friends from out of state, and she said, what, what was that? And I, <laughs> and I said, it's a lion. And she said, what? Is it escaped? I said, no, no, they're in their own enclave. It's just on the other side. Right. Right. Just one of those roaming free lions. Yeah, the San Diego lions, you know. Yeah, it just exists. And she said, what do you mean it's an enclave? I go, because here, we and and I am proud of it, they don't put animals behind bars. They have, Mm -hmm. like, a a cement thing that separates the humans from the animals. And so they wander around like they're Uh home in the savannah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. The habitat. Right. right. That they call them. That's what they. Yes. That's the terminology we use okay. these days. But I remember that when I was a little kid, one of the really fun things when we went to San Diego Zoo was when they have like this little tour bus that goes around, and the the guy would ha- a wave at the bears and the bears. I know now that they their trainer threw them food. But for me, it was the coolest thing in the world 
to have the guy that was the tour guide say, Hi, Freddie, and Freddie <laughs> would wave at us. Right. <laughs> to me, it was magic. <laughs> sure. You're like, oh, that bear knows who yeah, we are. that bear's he a genius. hello. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, maybe he's related to Yogi. It might be. <laughs> Never know. All, all bears do love picnic baskets. I will say that <laughs> from working with bears for many, many years. They all love to eat, so yep. that part's true. And they like to swim. I, th yeah. There's a lot of video of swimming bears in uh -huh. pools and <laughs> in lakes, uh -huh. wherever they can swim. Yeah, no, they do. They love it. I'm not talking about bears in the zoo. I'm talking about real bears. In oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in both, both, both sides of that coin, yes. Bears that live in the forest and bears that live in zoos like this one, too. Yeah. Yeah, I get kind of upset with people who, like, get angry at the animals. I'm like, we moved into their territory. They yeah. are not invading our territory. We right. invaded their territory. Stop being a jerk. Right, yeah. When you build your, your house at, like, the base of a mountain or right at the edge of the forest, it's like, well, you know. You're inviting hungry. it. Yeah, you're inviting it. Hey, uh, yeah, Yogi, come on over. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, we have huge raccoons that uh -huh. go up our trees, uh -huh. and they're not friendly. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're wild. They're wildlife. Like they're just trying to do their thing. Yeah, like yeah. some people want all animals to be pets. Yeah. So like if they're not being domesticated enough, then they're going to get annoyed. But like these are wild animals. Yeah, it's not Cinderella. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to put your clothes on for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the funniest part when I saw the movie Enchanted when she was crying, singing out for all the animals <laughs> and the reality, and it was rats. And right. <laughs> and yeah. things, yeah. yeah. I thought that, yeah, this is much more real. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in New York City. For sure. Yes. But I, yeah, that's one of my favorite. I love that movie. I didn't like the, I didn't like the sequel. Sorry. Sorry, Disney. Okay, I haven't seen the sequel. So. I didn't write it either, so you can say you didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> But um, it's I love the actors. It's the same actors, so I love the actors. There, it just I, I just didn't like the movie. Yeah, I didn't like the concept. Yeah, sometimes the the sequels hit, and sometimes yeah. they're you know. For sure. Don't always make it. It is funny though. Your story about the bear waving at the bus. Uh, it's like you think it. It seems like magic. I saw the closest I saw to that in the wild, and it's not really the wild, but kind of, sort of was. Uh, I think it's Grand Cayman has a place called Stingray City, mm -hmm. and basically you can take a little boat a few miles out from the beach, and you know you have a vest on and whatever, and they show you you're basically going to feed stingrays, little squid. Um, but the tour guide jumps in the water, and there's just stingrays, like hundreds of them floating, you know, like, swimming by, and he looked around for one in particular, and he's like, where is she, where's my girlfriend, and he just put his arms out in front of him, and this stingray, like, flopped up onto his arms, and, like, started flopping onto his face, like, like, hugging him in this weird, you know, I'm sure they had this, had it trained, but, like, sure. you wouldn't have thought that a stingray was capable of that level of recognition, mm -hmm. um, so, I'm always impressed by people who know how to train animals to do 
do those things. Like you know, like, a- um, animals are really smart. I remember yeah. watching. Um, it was one of. Oh, what's his name? David Attenborough's um, uh-huh. uh, shows about the planet. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was about this octopus. Uh-huh. Do you remember yeah. it? The yeah, octop- octopus are crazy smart. The octopus <laughs> was being chased by um, a small shark. And uh, it found its hiding spot, so he scooted out. And what he did was he took all of the stuff, like shells and tin cans and everything that was around him in the ocean and put around him like armor. Uh-huh. And so the shark came and the people, the cameraman afterwards explained, you know, we're taking, we're not allowed to interfere. But we all love this little guy because he was very friendly and he's adorable. Yeah. We didn't yeah, want sure. him to get eaten, but we're not allowed to interfere. So he he <laughs> they were all surprised that he did this. He um so he he's surrounded by basically the garbage at the bottom of the sea. Right. Right. And the shark sniffs him. He knows the shark knows he's there. He's the shark's not right. Um, right. but he can't find him. Because the stuff is actually yeah. hiding him. So as soon as the octopus sees an opportunity, he scoots out under him and gets away. Uh-huh. It was awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> it is cool. I always say, like, they're crazy smart, but they also, octopus always seem overpowered to me. <laughs> right. Like, if it was a video game or, like, a role-playing game, you'd be like, how do you have all of these special abilities? Like, they can shoot ink, they have these suckers, they can camouflage, right. they, like... Change color, they can regrow their arms. They yeah. Can... That's but the way thing too is... many abilities <laughs> for one animal to have. But and they're, they and also, they're really smart. They also have yeah. a really short life. Yeah. They have a true. very yeah. short life. trade off. Yeah, yeah, like, I think it's, like, the most they have is, like, a year. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's right. The boys especially, and then the ladies, like, once they have babies, that's it. That's it, yeah. yeah they lay eggs, and that's kind of it. Ah. Yeah, they, they, so they're smart, they're talented, they have all these amazing abilities, but they're not around for very long. Yeah. But the thing I is... I like the guy that was the cameraman said I was rooting for the poor little guy and I didn't even know that the cameraman was as upset as I was until after because afterwards I don't know if you ever watched that show but afterwards they interview all the different photographers that are taking the pictures of the wildlife and we tell about how they feel about the animals everybody loved the animals Um, (laughs) and how worried they were when they were in danger so I was like yeah He's on my side. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, totally. That's cool that they talked to the, that the is film cool. crew after. Yeah, it's a really cool series. It actually is having an effect in some places. Like, he had a thing about straws and how dangerous uh. it is to the wildlife, especially the um, ocean life. Uh-huh. Um, it affected the queen. And she actually um, put in a thing saying, 
in any of the palaces where there's a restaurant, we're no longer allowed to have straws. Oh, good. Okay. I mean, well, that's making a difference. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I mean, I know she's gone now, but I thought she was. No, cool. but like, yeah, all the best. Like, I write mostly fiction and not uh, docu series stuff, but like all the best fiction too like if you can reach somebody like I know I'm not a scientist I'm not going to be able to change the world that way but if I can write something that affects someone else who can make that change that's mm-hmm. kind of like the best you can hope for so, yeah. Um, yeah so that's cool when it works and it's so funny because you think about it uh, they both had the two brothers Richard Attenborough and David Attenborough had such an effect they both had a huge effect on the world yeah. and, and they were so different <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. true well Jurassic Park's your favorite movie it was Richard Attenborough in it yeah <clears throat> well I mean and probably a lot of people learned even from Jurassic Park like a ton of things of what to do and not to right. do regarding wildlife and the main the main one just because you think that you can doesn't mean that you should yeah. <laughs> that's like the biggest that's line the moral, yeah. of that movie well, I, I just think that the concept of taking a species and trying to recreate the species uh-huh. and you don't really understand what they are, what they do, how they live, not really. Uh-huh. Even there, there were supposed to be scientists, but it didn't seem to me that they really understood what they were doing Right, right. when they were trying to recreate cool. the dinosaurs, even though they were paleontologists and stuff because we really don't know I mean all you're looking at is dead bones you don't really know what their lifestyle was you know what they ate you know what they pranked but you really didn't know how they lived nope no I mean yeah you can draw conclusions from what we know today which you know is something but you're right like it's not not the same. The, the Earth wasn't the same then. Like you know, there were so many different variables. You can't you yeah. can't know for sure. Their food sources are not probably around anymore. They'd have to find different things. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, just you know, and the thing is, is that I, it's it's the thing that humans do that make me crazy. As a human, I can say it. Is, <laughs> <laughs> is that they think they know better than Mother Nature, and it's like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, they don't. Uh, you know, or or uh, scientists who really work hard and they do all these. Um, like you said, just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you know everything, but they really do work hard to try to understand what is our what's our world like. You know, what is our we really, thousands of years, all the science we have, all the technology we have, and we still don't understand our own ocean. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, we, yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, <laughs> it's always fun to write, like, science fiction because I, I always love how in science fiction we never change. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We're always like, oh, we're so much smarter now and we can, like, build spaceships and stuff, but, like, we just go to another planet and, like, do the same thing. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's probably what would happen because uh-huh. we well, just assume we know best. Yeah. It's like I always 
love, uh, like I loved Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation growing up, and I always felt like Gene Roddenberry had that vision of like humanity has gotten past that point, and we all uh, we all get along. That was always the mandate: is that the, the cast, the the crew of the Enterprise, never argues with each other. They are all beyond the point of conflict, interpersonal conflict, and they have evolved beyond politics and religion and all the things that would divide humanity in our current day and I'm like not really Spock and McCoy are always fighting yeah Yeah, exactly so uh, there's still yeah so all of like the new Star Trek series are like no we're still going to fight each other right because (laughs) that's just how it is that's what humans do well it's it's just the way how arrogant people are it's just it's sort of sad. Um, yeah. It, it, it's like, it, we have not changed since the Middle Ages where they thought that Earth and, and was the center of the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. We now know that it isn't, but we still think <laughs> we're the center of the universe. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, like it's funny and this is like you feel free to pull us back onto a different track if you want but this was one of the inspirations for this sci-fi trilogy that we've been writing is that there are no aliens in the trilogy we wrote it's just people but like as they expand they basically take over the, every star system they find without any particular regard for what might have been there before them um, and so it's just I don't know like it just felt like that's the natural way that as we explore into the stars in the coming generations, uh, hopefully <laughs> that we get that far. Maybe. Um, that human nature is still going to be the same thing. So. Yeah, like we did that to the planet, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we do it to the keep next doing planet? it outward, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my dad always said that scientifically and technically we're like on fire. We're zooming ahead. <laughs> Socially, we're still back with the cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So strange. You think, you know, we could get past that part of our brains where everything is a threat and, you know, it's all about me. I'm number one. I got to survive. But it's, nope. Like our, really yeah, our technology moved faster than our biology yeah. did. So we're For still sure. fighting with our, our primate brain, yeah. the 2001 uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> so. I wonder, yeah. I well, he must have. He knew, he knew what he was doing when he had that. Uh, orang- was it orangutan or was it a gorilla that threw the the thing up in the air? The, the bone in the air, yeah, yeah, it was. I think they were like chimps or something at the beginning of two thousand one. Was it but a yeah, chimp? Was, I think so. I, 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 or maybe it was a big chimp though. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'll check. Maybe it was gorillas. They were apes of apes or monkeys of some sort. You can correct me on which. If they didn't have tails, they were apes. Apes. Okay. I believe some some type of apes. Sure. Uh, anyway, yes, the apes at the beginning of 2001. That, uh, yeah, they learn. I mean, the first thing they do, they're mostly sitting around for the first like 15 minutes of that movie, and then once one of them picks up a bone and starts to use it as an item, the first thing he does with it is break the skulls that's on the ground, like he has turned it into a weapon immediately, and then they use it to fight off and kill other apes that are in their territory, mm-hmm. and that sort of. You know, and it's showing the how humanity evolved. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty much what we did. We yeah. start with fighting, and we are still fighting. Mm-hmm. I thought it's like, you know, 
I a lot of people ask, like or dislike that movie, but that's definitely the theme of it. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually yeah. realize something until I recently reread The Time Machine. But the thing okay. that was the biggest thing that the time traveler, because in the movie with Rod Taylor, they gave him a name, but in the book, he didn't have a name. Um, and I liked the movie. Um, but the thing that they taught him was um, how to kill. That was the big thing he taught. Right. Is how to kill. Because they were human beings. Killing human beings. And he was making a point. It was... And I didn't realize it when I first read it when I was a teenager. It, it, it was about um, socialization and and um, uh, industry and um, the elitism and all the stuff that because he, he was a socialist um, right. that he put into it but to me I didn't see it until I was a woman I mean I was I was a teen when I first read it because I read it because I was in love with Rod Taylor and I saw the movie. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> I, I, I'll read this why people read books. <laughs> yeah, of course. They're like, ooh, I saw that movie. Uh, well, I, ha I have this weird thing that I've always had. I, to me, m books and movies and TV shows all hook into each other. Um, I, 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 I will... Um, I'll read a Jane Austen book because I saw Pride and Prejudice, the movie with Colin Firth, and I had a crush on him. Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, that's a strong drive to buy a book, okay? The crush. No, 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 no judgment here. Yep, yep. We're with you. I'm, I'm the weirdo, though, that I'm always, like, if I hear a thing is coming out and it's based on a book, like, I, I have to read the book first. I'm like one, I'm like one of those people where I'm like I gotta know the source material before I see the thing. Did you read Game of Thrones before you yeah. knew Game of Thrones would be a TV no, show? No, I heard it was going to be a TV show, and I'm like, oh no, I have to read the series oh real my fast God. before. It's How did you read that whole series? And it's not even done. No, well, I mean, I read as much as was written at the time. Yeah. Okay. Nobody's read the whole series. No, because they he never finished. He never Why finished it. I, that's all I hear on book. I, I I go on BookTube on in um on YouTube, and that's all I hear on YouTube. I I love Game of Thrones, but I don't want to read anymore because he never finished it, and I don't want to get stuck with not knowing what happens because he didn't finish it. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and honestly, like I I read the book series, and then I and I watched the whole TV show. As the TV show, they did a great well. I won't get into it. Everybody knows that the last season wasn't the greatest, but they did a great job, like condensing things that weren't needed and you know telling you the best part of the storyline. So like, eh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about reading the books. <laughs> you are like, if you just don't want to get stuck, because it's fine. The ending they gave us. I think people are hoping the books have a better. Yeah, ending. and I yeah, and that's like a lot to live up to, man. As an author, like, oh yeah. shoot, this thing, these TV writers, this whole group of people couldn't. It's a better. lot to live up to, but it at is. the same time, it's like how many times as an author do you get the chance 
to have someone else like sort of yeah. pre-test your ending and right. be like, oops, they didn't like that. I'm writing a different ending. And right. I'm going to pretend that was my ending the whole time. I know. <laughs> so maybe he'll get away with like, oh, he's actually the super genius right. who had the, the good ending. Yeah. And those TV writers are the ones he's that... smarter than <laughs> yeah. everyone else. Do you guys ever get annoyed when you love a book and it's adapted but they miss the point of the book. Yeah, I mean, happen. yeah, and it, that's hard. And I, I think I used to be a lot harder on, you know, the the movies and things before I started writing a lot. You know, because it's easy to kind of look at a thing and be like, oh, that book, the book was so much better, and you know, how could they not? And then, just kind of knowing what goes into like writing a script and how it's different and you know, it, it, it's kind of like a different a different animal. I oh, not yeah. that you can't write write books, you know, adaptions that aren't great. Because I, but I just feel like there's so many more fingers in that pot. Yeah, it can get real messy. There's a lot of yeah. I it's can it's now. not that yeah. the adaptation isn't good. Like, um, right. it, it's just that they're going for the glamour or right. Oh, like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like The Great no, Gatsby. I'm thinking of The Great Gatsby, which is one of my favorite books. One of my favorite, okay. top favorite I classics. love that book, too. <laughs> and the one with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow was much better than the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. <clears throat> because what they did with the Leonardo DiCaprio, the whole focus was on the dancing and the clothes. Mm-hmm. and that, that's, It's a tragedy. It's, it's, it is right. not fun. It is not glamour. That's not what he was trying to say. That's what I mean about missing the point. Right. Oh, yeah, like there's a feeling that you got from the book that you're like, oh, this is completely missing in this movie. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying the script was bad or anything like that. I'm more like saying they just, I think that they maybe the people who wrote the script never read the book. I don't know, but it doesn't have. Or maybe. Well, it's also like, I mean, I think one of the writers and the director is Baz Lorman for that version, and he did, you know, uh, I mean, everything he did is is about the spectacle of it. Like he loves just big, huge, flashy movies. So, um, Moulin Rouge and like the the Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet back in the 90s like all of that stuff is him too so it has that vibe that flavor and maybe that's what drew him to the great Gatsby was the spectacle of that and maybe he wasn't as interested yeah. in the tragedy part of the story yeah um but I feel like people who went to see it probably knew they were going to see a Baz Luhrmann version of it you know like like going to see different versions of uh of Shakespeare, like, yeah. move, like how many times has has Macbeth or Othello been remade as a movie, and like they're all very different, just depending on the director. Yeah, so. that's a, yeah, that is a weird thing about that is that you yeah, depending on who it can like I said, like there's so many different people who touch it, you never yeah. know, like yeah. it's like hard to know what kind of outcome right, you're gonna get. Right, because there's also gonna be studio notes. Yep. There's also gonna be people like, oh well, it may be a tragedy, but people don't want to see a depressing movie, so we're gonna have to just fix this, uh, you know, we're going to write a new ending for you or something. So, oh, that was I've... another thing. They took Nick's speech out at the end. I was <laughs> I was so angry. Nick's my favorite character <laughs> in The Great Gatsby. Yeah, he's great. 
and uh-huh. um, Sam Waterston in the one with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow was a brilliant Nick, and Lois Childs played Jordan. And the, it, I was more into Nick and and, Lo, and Jordan than I was in Daisy and Gatsby, because they right, were yeah, more same. more real to me. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so when I um, I read the book in school. It was one of the required books and that I actually liked. And then I, I um, it, it was years after the movie. It was like, the movie came out in like 72. I was a baby, so I did not read the book before that. Um, I wasn't a baby, but I was, you know, at, at, at nine years old or eight years old, you're not old enough not to understand the great Gatsby. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I did read it, which was like round, I think it was, no, it wasn't high school, it was in college. It was my first year in college, so it was 80. Um, and when I did read the book, I wanted to watch the movie. And the movie version that we had was the Robert Redford version. And I was like, right. this is great, you know. I mean... I mean, there were some flaws in it, but there's flaws in every movie, so that didn't bother me. It was more, it was beautifully shot, clothes were beautiful, they were pretty right on the script, Uh, I mean, the script was pretty right on the book, the text. Right. Uh, it, It was beautiful. And then there was another version with Toby Stevens on television, which was right on, everything was good in that. I, um, and then... This movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was just, uh, and what they did to Nick, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just like there was a um, prequel that just recently came out that I got from the library because I love Nick. It's called Nick, uh-huh. and the person who wrote it. He didn't write it in the style of Fitzgerald. He wrote it in the style of Hemingway. Oh, interesting. Huh. And it just, I mean, I know it was supposed to be before. It was during the war. It was early Nick and everything. Uh-huh. But it wasn't the voice of Nick because it had yeah. that choppy Hemingway style instead of the poetic Fitzgerald style. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah, sense to you guys? Or? Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Because I actually real... stopped reading it because I couldn't stand this, what they did. Yeah, it's hard, especially when you connect with a character and you're like, you know, this is this is the one, this is the character that I enjoy, and then someone, you know, interprets it in a different way, and it's kind of in, like it's just funny to like think about that, like. I, you know, we've kind of gone through this whole publishing process, and we have a publisher, and that's great, Um, but I, you know, have talked to a lot of other authors, and they're like, no, no, I have to, like, self-publish this, because they're, like, so afraid that someone is going to, like, take their thing and change it, and, you know, you you worry about losing your voice, and I get it, so, like, to think about, like, something that you've written, or or having a book that you love, and then have it transformed into this other medium, you're taking a lot of chances. Like you, don't, you never quite know. Like it's great when you do have that version, and you're like, yes, they got it. Like this is exactly what, you know, I really think this was supposed to be. And then, but you know, someone else can pick up the same exact thing, 
yeah. and interpret it a completely different way. No, definitely. It's it's uh, one of the things, you know, I've only been in, you know, my background, mostly I've lived in Philadelphia and, like, started pitching TV shows and moved to L.A. Uh, when some of them were getting uh, attention, like, five years ago or so, and I always remember people being like afraid of their ideas getting stolen mm-hmm. like that was a big thing and it still is like it happens sometimes people will have an idea for something that gets stolen by someone else but what I've realized a lot since moving out here is that I could have an idea and Lauren could have an idea and you could have the same idea like we could all be basing something on the same idea but if any of the three of us tried to make that project it would be so incredibly right. different because of the voice we are personally mm-hmm. bringing to it yes um and i think that's that when i've been pitching tv shows whether it's a sci-fi or a comedy or whatever they people are looking for you because they want your voice that you're bringing to it like right. they may have you know like anyone could pitch Warner Brothers on a Bugs Bunny movie, but what's your voice? What's your take on Bugs Bunny that's making them hire you? Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of times this dude, like whichever studio it was, I don't know offhand that hired Bob Lorman to make um, uh, Great Gatsby. They were probably like, we want to see you do this. Yeah. Like we know Great Gatsby is something slightly different than this, but what's your version of it? And right. So it might anger the people who really know the book well yeah. and who want to see authenticity of it but the people who want to see just a crazy spectacle right yeah <laughs> they're gonna be like great awesome and maybe that's their introduction to the great cats and maybe they go back and read the book and they're like oh I see and mm-hmm. they wouldn't have read it otherwise who knows like, yeah it's really it's interesting it's always you know it's a, you never know like it's it's great when you're like oh man this came yeah. out exactly how I hoped it would <laughs> I personally cannot wait for the day when our book trilogy is a huge success <laughs> Oh, I like that you said when. That's yeah, when. very awesome. And then some director comes along and wants to make it and totally screws it up. <laughs> and we're just like, I don't know, that's not how I would have done it. But it got done. Great. So, who knows? Well, and the thing <laughs> is, is that everybody has their own interpretation, and I understand that. It's just uh-huh. that, like I said, with the Gatsby, is that the point of the book you should uh-huh. at least have the point of the book right in right the film. sure the theme should like at least stay yeah. intact you the, would say the moral of the story and it, yeah this is not some you know story that no one has heard of like yeah. this is a yeah. this it's, is a, it's you know, just a classic, classic. Yeah, yeah it's just a it, classic yeah <laughs> for sure um oh well, another one that's been made several times and it's a favorite of mine is Death on the Nile by Agatha Christie. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't read that. Yeah, I'm, I haven't read much. I haven't read much Agatha Christie either, so tell oh. us about it. Okay, Death on the Nile is a really good book. Okay, first I gotta say, it's a really good book. <laughs> what it is, is that um, a woman who's really, really rich, um, uh, her best friend is in love with this guy who's really really handsome and what she does is she steals the guy from her best friend and goes marries him and takes him on honeymoon to Egypt thus the title death on the Nile (laughs) and the the best friend she gets revenge by following them everywhere they go on their honeymoon 
the boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, I don't want to give away too much for people who haven't read it. But um, basically what happens is um, they go on a, uh, on a steamship up the Nile. And Hercule Perrault and another character from Agatha Christie named Colonel Race are on the ship. And uh, Colonel Race is like a MI6 guy, but before they had oh. MI6. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, they would have called him special services or something like that back then. Uh-huh. And uh, Hercule Perot is a detective um, who was a policeman. Um, he was a policeman until World War One. He retired and he went to England and he became a detective. Right. So, and he's a great detective. He is the greatest detective ever. You know, that kind of... Yeah, uh-huh. Poirot. Yeah, Poirot. I do know Poirot, yes. Okay. So, uh, during the cruise, the girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, is on... Uh, at first, she doesn't get on the ship, but halfway up the Nile, she shows up. And, oh. again, starts torturing them. Uh-huh. And then there's a murder. So that's all I'm going to say because the rest of okay. it would be a spoiler. All right. So okay. You, cool. you kind of know there's a murder, okay? Because it's called Death on the Nile. Sure. Right. So yeah, I'm not giving know, anything away there. Yeah, it's a detective. Yeah. Okay, so there were three versions of it. The first version was with Peter Ustinov. Now, Peter <clears throat> Ustinov was not the way Perot was described as Perot, but he was wonderful. <laughs> he was, you know, you can not be, you don't, you, you cannot look like Perot. You may not have the exact accent of Perot and all this other stuff, because he was tall and he was big, and Perot was little and tiny. So, right. you know, and he had a tiny mustache. Peter used to have a tiny and and Perot had a bigger mustache. And, you know, I mean, people get really picky about this stuff. Yeah. Sure. And I'm not like that. If it's, if the guy, if the character rings true, I can enjoy it. And I loved Peter Usenov. First of all, he was a lot of fun as Perot. He was so much fun. And the the scripts pretty much was really honorable to uh, the words of Agatha Christie. Um, so the first one was the first, actually the first Agatha Christie I'd ever seen as a movie. Okay. So I do have a great deal of affection for it. Uh, sure. The second one was David Suchet. And it was darkened. Um, uh-huh. Because the first half of the uh, David Suchet's Perot was much more fun. Um, but when he lost Hastings in the series and Miss Lemon was no longer there, uh, the character was darkened. He was lonely and he was, you know, he was just darkened. That was fine. I don't have a problem with that. It was just, it kind of changed the scope and the style of the uh-huh. the different shows um, than it was when at the beginning. 
but it was he's he's a great Perot. He's exactly like Agatha Christie wrote him. He the okay. look, the way he talks, the way he moves, every habit, every movement of that David Suchet is Perot. I mean, that's how brilliant he is. He's just great. Okay. And so even though it was darker and different, it was a really good it was a really good show. Really good. The third one was recently. And that was with Kenneth I never can pronounce his last name. Brana, right? Yeah, Brana. Yeah. I don't know why I can't say it, but that's it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it looked like half the letters are silent. I know. Yeah, it is not spelled like it is. <laughs> it is not. He's a brilliant actor. I uh, I I've yeah. been seeing him for years. I've uh, I saw him when he was married to Emma Thompson. I mean, I I Peter's Friends and all these movies and and his movie that he did about Ireland at the same year the death of the nail nail came out was brilliant and deserved to get the Oscar nomination. So I'm not saying anything against him. He's a brilliant writer, director, and actor. Mm-hmm. Right. But, <laughs> as a fan of Agatha Christie, who I've read Agatha Christie almost all my life, and and I am, as I told you, I'm open to different interpretation. I, sh- I think I, I showed that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. His version of Death on the Nile was not my Perot. Um, it just wasn't. Um, based, first of all, they make him into a superhero at the beginning of the movie. All of a sudden, okay. Perot is the great soldier who's going to save the entire regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's not Perot. Right. And, and they, I, I, they made changes... Some of the changes were good. Some of the changes... I, I accepted Murder on the Orient Express that he did. I thought it was different, but it was based on the text, and it the changes were okay. They didn't bother me. This mm-hmm. was different. This was like the great Gatsby that we were talking about earlier. It's all about the glamour. Yeah. It's all about the right. excitement. It's all about the yeah. clothes and all that. And to make and, and he's making Hercule Perot younger than he is mm-hmm. instead of right. I mean he's supposed to be I mean he's ageless he stays the same age throughout the book so he, <laughs> right he's James Bond kind of right so way. he's in about fifty through all the books from the nineteen twenties all the way to nineteen seventy so right you know in reality he would have been one hundred and ten right um, yeah. yeah. But the point is, is I just couldn't accept the changes. Does that make sense? It just, no, yeah. It, it was just not, like I said, it was not my Perot. It's, it's interesting because we were literally, like, just kind of talking about this, how, you know, people, shows, recent shows, like on TV, people are kind of getting, and especially when they're based on, like, book series or previous IP, they're um, getting kind of disappointed in endings and because they're like, oh, they just feel like they didn't take enough chances or they just kind of watered it down or, you know, they didn't leave it complicated enough. And I wonder if that's kind of just a thing that happens sometimes when you get these big, big budget, like, 
you know, anymore these days. Like, you're just trying to appeal to the widest audience, which I get, because, you know, you spend a lot of money on these movies, and you want to make sure that it appeals to the biggest audience, but... I wonder, and I mean, I think a lot of people would say this. We don't feel like we're making, we're taking enough chances. Like, how yeah. much, how many Marvel movies have we done? Oh, like, yeah. that thing worked. That worked one time, yeah. so they did it forty more times. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Formula, and you just stick to the formula all the time. Like, I, I'm a, like, I'm a video game person too. And I was talking about <clears throat> the new um, Super Mario Brothers movie with uh-huh. a friend because uh, it was, you know, it was. It was a great film. It was right. a lot of fun. Uh, it was definitely for kids, sure. and like I know a lot of adults who enjoyed it as well. But like, if I were ten years old, that is the Mario Brothers movie that I wanted to see. It had every single thing that a Super Mario Brothers game had in it, yep. and like every thirty seconds, they were delivering you one of those things. Mm-hmm. So you could be like, ah, and that little nostalgia center in your brain could just like light up with dopamine, <laughs> and you could just sit through the whole movie and enjoy it. But I thought about the last Super Mario Brothers movie they made, which was in 1993, <laughs> with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo and Dennis Hopper, and it was this weird, creepy, dark, like cyberpunk take on a, a like alternate world that got taken over by this fungus and things, and like there was kind of this like King Koopa was kind of this Donald Trump-esque character. Oh God. Movie anyone would have the guts to make this movie oh, now. Nope. That was and it like it was a huge risk and it was a huge bomb right. in ninety three and it stopped Nintendo from making movies for like twenty years. Yep. So, you know, I get why they happened in this order, but if they had happened the other way around and that movie had just come out, I would have probably loved that. Right. But like, all right, way to take a risk, Hollywood. That right. was a lot of fun and weird and wrong, but <laughs> I was okay with it and it's just like a different type yeah. of enjoyment. Yeah. Like, just seeing kind of the same thing all of the time, the big, the glitz, the glamour, you know, uh-huh. it kind of, you're just like, all right, well, I've seen this a hundred times. What what else you got? Let me, let yeah. me see that gritty yeah, like one, the, yeah, you know, that's new, more yeah. true to the original. Yeah, the Super Mario Brothers cartoon, the animated movie that just came out was technically flawless. Like, it was a perfect right. delivery system of this IP, but for that reason... And I didn't like the original when it came out, and now I'm like, I probably like it more. <laughs> just because yeah. it took some of those risks, and it yeah. did something a little different. Yeah. Uh, so, the, I don't know, that might just be me, but I'm weird that way. I'm just, now I'm craving something, I'm craving those different takes. Yeah. strange things. I'm, I, don't, I don't need Hollywood to smooth it all over. Yeah, that said, I have not seen uh, Barbie or Oppenheimer yet, and I hear both of those do excellent jobs, kind of like subverting your expectations. Um, so yeah. no spoilers, but uh, I hear there. I hear those are great. I like, haven't. I haven't seen them, but I saw an interview with the director and Ben Mankiewicz on uh, TCM, and it was really interesting because I was I was not interested in the Barbie movie. Sorry, but <laughs> just okay. wasn't interested. But what she sure. said. Now I'm curious. I may it because what she said she's a big classic movie fan and she said there's Carol Lombard there's Catherine Hepburn there's all different kinds of people and and scenes uh, bringing a baby and to be or not to be and all these things from classics and there's little nuggets in there and I was like really (laughs) in a Barbie movie (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I saw someone did uh, speaking of 2001. Like there's a 2001 reference through the beginning of the Barbie movie too. I think oh. they do almost. The, it looked like they do a shot by shot sort of. Oh my gosh. Uh, parody, um, or satire of it. Um. So that's kind of fun too. Well, I did like um, her, yeah. some of her previous movies. I did like her Little Women. Uh, I thought that was very good. So I may I may give it a shot if it's like that. And I and I like um, what's her um, Roby the lead that plays Barbie. Oh yeah, Margot. Yeah, Margot yeah, Robbie. Is it Robbie yeah. or Roby? I thought it was Margot Robbie. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I think. Yeah, I believe so. I'm terrible with names. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um. But I, I, like I said, when I first saw all that pink and stuff, I was like, not for me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I was not a Barbie girl. <laughs> Nor was I. So. But I am a I classic was, movie fan. And yeah, now, yeah. Now I'm curious. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I am a huge uh, Christopher Nolan fan, so I think Oppenheimer, and, like, from what I'm hearing, Oppenheimer follows a lot of the same... Uh, uh, Nolan-isms that, like, some of my favorite films of his, like Memento and uh, uh, The Prestige, like, those are just some, some of my top films yeah. ever. he likes timey-wimey stuff. He likes timey-wimey stuff as well, and mm-hmm. Oppenheimer has some of that, and just, like, he knows how to edit uh, really in a fascinating way, so um, I want to see that for that reason. And I haven't seen it, so I can't talk much more about it than that, other than uh, apparently it's doing well enough that it's got, like, it's extending its run. It's still sold out even during the day, during the week, like, so good for them. Yeah. Like, awesome. Well, I'm interested uh, in Oppenheimer. Is it Oppenheimer or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I'm interested because yeah. I do know the story of him and, you know, of, yeah. of him and what he did and what happened to him. So I'm yeah. very curious about his, this take on it. Um, I mean, I have read some stuff on it. I ha- I've watched documentaries, so I am aware. But I've never read a book on it, so I don't have that kind of pre- bigotry. Uh, not bigotry. Prejudice? No, not prejudice. What would you call yeah, it? Yeah, like preconceived, yeah, preconceived notions. Yeah, yeah. Previous notions. Um, right. But... Um, but I am interested because I I think what he, what he did was amazing, you know. If you look at what he actually achieved, and then the the what happened afterwards and what was discovered about him later, I don't want to give anything away. Um, <laughs> um, even it's though it's famous, World War Two. I know. It, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like it's just well, how many people read history? Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, you are you are right. Yep. Uh, I'm a history nut. I, I I my major when I was at university was archaeology, and uh, oh, I did my uh, major in, in archaeology and film when I was at university. When I was at a community college, I was acting and uh, western civ. I I I was a very weird person. <laughs> I did very well in both. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't changed. I'm still weird. 
yeah. yeah. No, it's you're okay. I figure right after this interview, you're going to go unearth some ancient artifact <laughs> with the curse on it, and then you'll that'll be your next week is solving the curse. Probably. Yeah, well, I have to admit, I've had a crush on Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones since I was a kid. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to. I was going to say, you and 75% uh-huh. of America, yep. probably. Yeah. That's pretty pretty classic Harrison uh-huh. Ford, very crushable. Yeah. Yeah, and I also like time travel. They have time travel in it. I haven't seen the new one. Oh, I, we, yeah, we haven't. Me either. We're the worst. We're like, <laughs> we, just, mean, we, haven't, we haven't been to theaters in a long time. It's, you know, it's hard to get out. I know. We, we do our best. We will. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I've been watching. I only didn't like, I mean, I'm, I only didn't like one, and it's not the one everybody else didn't like. <laughs> oh, of the J- Indiana Jones movies? Uh-huh. So you liked Crystal Skull, but you didn't like Temple of Doom. Yes! Very good! How'd you get that? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. really good! I'm really surprised <laughs> nobody else got that. Well, Temple of Doom's more of like, it's almost a horror movie. Like, it's not as much an adventure. Like, it's got some real, like, scary stuff in it. It's also got, I mean, eh, you know, I think of the three originals, I, I like it the least. But um, there's almost nothing to dislike about, uh, <laughs> you know, Last Crusade or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those are just amazing films, mm-hmm. pretty much. And, so, I mean, Last Crusade yeah. had Sean Connery. Come on. I know. <laughs> yeah. And they were the they were just such such great chemistry. Like, yes, I just love really the chemistry. So it actually I thought the the chemistry with uh Indy and the girl was good, but the chemistry with him and his father was much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they were like the best buddy comedy. Yeah, no. Everyone brought their A game to that one, so no, I loved it. I was um, I was kinda sad that he didn't uh he wasn't well enough to come back and do another film with him. Because yeah. they had such a great chemistry together. Oh, Sean Connery? Yeah. yeah. He's been retired for a while, right? Like, yeah. He kind of has not been in movies. Well, he's uh-huh. gone now. He's passed away. Oh, that's why. <laughs> I guess he wouldn't be. When, well, when was that? Not well enough, yes. You're right, you're right. That was three years ago. So. Oh, boy. Correct. Man, I am that far behind. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I loved him. When he died, I was, like, devastated. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's why there's the big tribute to him in uh, Crystal Skull. It's like, that that was the tribute to, because uh, Harrison Ford adored him. Right. Yeah, no, I would think. Yeah, so. everybody actually, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, everybody, the um, everybody that was uh, Kennedy, I forgot her first name. Uh, all of them, everybody loved Sean Connery. I mean, how can you not love Sean Connery? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's kind of hard not to. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's why because he passed away, so they gave a, a really lovely tribute at the beginning of the movie to him. Both of them did. The one who played Marcus also passed away. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's why it had the, that thing where he's sitting there and he's looking at the two of them and he's like talking to these pictures <laughs> about everything and um, because he was about to get thrown out of the university and stuff. Um, that was a tribute to them. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, we've come to the time where you guys get to talk about 
Well, you did talk a little bit about your book, but can you, you want to, your book series, but do you want to talk a little more about it? Sure. We can talk about it forever. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to cut us off. But, yeah, uh, go for it. Uh, yeah, so the trilogy, it's a sci-fi series, um, parallax series, and we have titles for them now, which is really exciting. So the first one is Origin, and uh, we're hoping that's going to be coming out soonish. Um fall. Or perhaps it's out already, it depending be. on when this yeah. episode airs. It's timey-wimey stuff happening right now, so who knows? Yes. Um, but the basic idea is that uh, the humans have um, traveled to the nearest star system about 300 years in the future. Uh, the world is governed by corporations, so yes, quote-unquote, the future. <laughs> not not too different like it we is now. We didn't invent that concept. Right. Um, and but, you know, corporations are cheap, so when they discovered these worlds, it was a lot cheaper to gene splice their citizens than try to terraform the planet. So we have people who are genetically spliced with sea life to, you know, live on, a, on an aquatic planet that uh, can dig subterranean tunnels into planets that are not habitable on the surface. Um, we have people that can fly that have cybernetics, all the fun stuff um, in, a, in a sci-fi series that you would want. And um, the main crux of the story is that we have kind of two groups of people that are slowly discovering that this newest gene splice that the biggest corporation of them all, Terran Systems, is developing um, has some terrible things going on behind it. And they are yeah. slowly learning these clues and are trying to discover them before something really bad happens. So I don't want to give away yeah. the whole thing, but that's... There's some mysterious DNA that is yes. being used. There are people disappearing, and it becomes a corporate conspiracy yeah. in space kind of adventure. Yeah. Story. So we get these kind of, you know, people who are trying to live their normal lives and are getting pulled into this conspiracy, whether they like it or not, <laughs> and uh, have to figure it out. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of two stories taking place on two different sides of the galaxies, and you're kind of slowly... Um, getting more and more connected as, as you go through the series, so yeah. uh, we're really kind of excited about it that way. We've been comparing it to, like, Game of Thrones meets Guardians of the Galaxy. Sort yeah, of, yeah. Like those, those sort of vibes. Yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy, a lot of space, kind of superhero-ish type characters, mm -hmm. and then the Game of Thrones part where you have all these kind of stories that are happening and they're slowly coming together. Everything is, is sort of is sort of weaving Building together. Building towards one, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so that's, and when that's is, 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 it, is it, when's the first book due out? We don't have a release date yet, but uh, this fall. Um, we just saw the covers the other day. Yeah, they so look we, great. Yes, the, the, our publishing company, Athon Books, uh, did a great job um, taking our feedback. They have their own in-house artists. They're not using AI or anything like that. Yeah. They have vowed to not use AI for art or writing at any point, which is great. Um, oh, and, and they and they just started talking to us about audiobook narrators. So yes. we're we're I don't want to say dates or months, but we have a feeling it'll be after September sometime. So probably yes. We're we're hoping that it'll be around there. Um, yeah, we're I, going to be at um, a convention called LostCon in November. So we're hoping that it's like a, a literary sci-fi convention that has some of the greats of science fiction, um, like Larry Niven and Stephen Barnes, and uh, those people are are founding members of yeah. this thing. So I don't know why there. they're inviting us. I don't know why. <laughs> going, yeah, I don't know what we did to get invited, but we're, we're going to hopefully be at that, and uh, hopefully have books to show people at that point. Um, so, but uh, I can at least say my web 
website is cinevore.com, C-I-N-E-V-O-R-E, like a creature that eats film, like a carnivore, but for film. Um, so if there are if, if there are updates on the Parallax series, those would be there. And Lauren also has a website. Oh, I do. It's just my name, laurensapolo.com. I uh, am a, an illustrator and a writer, so it's got most of those that art and stuff on there too and of course yes if there are book updates they will go over there as well so we're going to try to keep everybody um, informed about what's happening um, Mm -hmm. and as soon as we know we will let other people know yes and social media also of course findable yes on those things yeah believe it or not even though they're all collapsing yeah all the social media platforms (laughs) yeah that's how I feel too I know. Except you just vocalize how I feel inside. <laughs> right. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I want things better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I don't ask for much. Just, right? right. Yeah. Just no, that's it, all. Just, just better. better. Better, please. Yeah. Yeah. Just make things better. Right. Yeah. No, why is that so hard? Yeah. Why don't, yeah so. Let's grow up and stop being jerky. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so we have, so we'll be talking about it. Um, it's a fun space adventure, you know, if you like, you know, reading about people in space, cool superhero-y type things. Yes, the common man fighting against uh, corporate greed mm-hmm. and uh, selfishness Yeah. in space. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like time machine of the future. Hmm. Yeah, uh... I don't think we have any time travel in it is the main difference. Oh, well, yeah, so. uh, but he, the thing is is that he wanted to invent good stuff. The time machine was supposed to show the betterment of people. And yeah, all the people right. that were there, his friends, were talking about the war and, and right. weaponry and that stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. In that sense, very much like the time machine. Yes, all these poor people just want... To live in a better place. Yeah, and they have want it. it to be better, and it keeps breaking down all around them until they have no choice but to fight against the man uh-huh. and make the change they want to see in the world. Yeah. Okay, I can go with that. Yeah, that's really good. I don't think good. I invented that. I'll, I'll take <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Thanks. Oh. Um, uh, do you guys have, um, like, on your website, like, events? that you guys have coming up and stuff like that that people can see? Um, I have a news page, so I'm not great about updating it, so most of that is social media. So if you find me on Twitter or Instagram, that stuff, I usually am like, I will be at this thing, or <laughs> or I was just at this thing yeah. sometime. Okay, um, that's my next question. What is your social media? <laughs> um, mine is, like, like the website is Cinevore. Most of my social media is Cinevore, C-I-N-E-V-O-R-E, or Cinevore Film, um, with just film at the end. Uh, my name is Matt Conant, C-O-N-A-N-T, like Conan O'Brien, but with a T at the end. So <laughs> you can find me uh, there, and I will follow you back and so forth. Um, that's probably the easiest. Yeah, um, I am on several platforms. Uh, if you look up Lauren Sapolo. C-I-P-O-L-L-O is how you spell my last name. Um, links to all of my socials are on my website. I'm on TikTok. Um, you are. You have a very, Lauren has a very cool TikTok with about both illustrations that she's drawn, because she's a very talented illustrator with mm-hmm. an animation background, and uh, also writing, just stories about writing. Yeah. And, and 
part of book talk, I guess. The yes, book talk that community. is the thing that I try, <laughs> try to be a part of. I feel like I'm too old. Whatever. But TikTok, it's fun. We're all too old. I know. It's fun. Uh, it's fun <laughs> to just talk about things and meet people. And uh, But, yeah, so there, that's where I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, and you can get all that stuff uh, from the website and stuff, too. So I try to try to update as much as possible. Hey, Barnes & Noble has book talk tables. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, we it's it's cool. So Athon, our publishing company, is I guess you would call them indie. I don't know. They're, they're a more, small traditional publisher. Yeah, and and they're more in the ebook space. Um, so they're not you know we they're not going to like immediately send us to um, Barnes and Noble. But I have heard that you can go and like talk to your local Barnes and Noble and stuff. And yes, I've seen the whole like book talk tables and things. So there's a yeah, the Barnes and Noble on Ventura Boulevard. In Studio City, that's one of our targets. Like, yes. when this book comes out, we're going to go there, we're going to show them our book. Every bookstore yes. in in Los Angeles and San Diego, because I know people and know, you know, we'll, we go down there regularly, uh, they're going to be tired of us because we're going to be bothering <laughs> them about it a lot when these books come out. Probably. So we will do some book reading, some book signings, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, and we'll cool. make sure that we update, you know, with that information we when we have let it. let people know, yes. That's great. Um, we come to the end. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoy you guys. This was really fun. Yeah, oh, thank you. This, this was thank great. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs>